Welcome to the Mindful Leadership Podcast. How do we navigate through all the noise, distractions and pressures to make thoughtful conscious decisions that are better for us, our people, our customers and our organizations? How do we know if we're busy and effective or just too busy to be effective? In this podcast, we talk to leaders who share their stories about challenging existing paradigms and doing different things differently. I'm your host Shahana Banerjee, founder and CEO of Just Human, Not Resources, on a mission to humanize the future of work. In this episode, we talk to my good friend and fellow disruptor Atul Khosla, founder and CEO of Leadership at Humanity, a man on a mission to bring humanity back to leadership. Better humans, better leaders is his mantra. Welcome, Atul. It is so nice to have you on this podcast. It's my pleasure, Shahana. Great, great to see you, and great to be here with you in this conversation. It's been a while. We've known each other for more than a decade, so it is really cool to get to do this with you. Same here. Looking forward to it. So let's let's dive right in. You've had an amazing career spanning countries, companies, and continents. <laughs> so would love to know where it all started for you. and who are the people the experiences and the influences that have really shaped you and got you to where you are today well first thanks for the compliment i i don't probably feel that it's that um, big kind of a move or transition in my career i grew up in a very small town in the northern part of india uh, called kathua near jammu uh, then we moved when i was about 10 to a place called chandigarh looking back my early childhood i grew up in a very warm very compassionate household uh, my dad was a lawyer my mom and my older brother who's uh, two and a half years older to me a big inspiration to me even today very comfortable very connected life i would say in a small family uh, and i think all of that changed uh, when i was about 10 i lost my dad and my mom uh, probably the biggest influence on my life on my journey on my career was a great woman i learned how to come across and how to show up as a as a positive human being comes from my mother so she uh, made a big choice at that time to move to a big city because she felt in a small town uh, my brother and i uh, were not in a position to get some good education so she made this big decision to move to the big city where we had a broader family but per se uh, coming from a small town and establishing ourselves was probably the first transition in my entire life making our own choices early on which school to go which sports to pick which friends you should be with i have a very distinct memory of my brother taking me to a school for admission in chandigarh and wow <laughs> our principal asking you know where's your guardian and my brother saying well i'm the guardian and he's the student and then watching my mother go through a very tough time in our lives you know we moved to a house we had a tenant who was not vacating and my mom going to the courts going with her and watching her with the kind of calmness and poise mm. and just sheer humility dealing with this very very complex situation but not doing anything which was not consistent with her own values or her own principles also taught you how to come across how to show up when you're faced with adversity with mm-hmm. unpredictable situations and now i look back 
you know, I moved countries, as you said, I moved companies, uh, I led different teams, I was part of very diverse teams. One thing which really stayed with me was just stay true to who you are. And people embrace you with your imperfections, with your challenges. So being true to who you are, uh, showing up as a good human being, staying true to your values is all of that is my early influences. So very long answer to your very crisp, sharp question. <laughs> and then that led you into HR. How did that happen? My first or primary motive was to do something which will get me a job quickly. So I saw my mother uh, and I always felt how quickly I can start working where she feels a little bit of comfort. And I remember asking my brother, what do you do which will get you a job quickly? A lot of his friends in the university were pursuing MBA and they get jobs uh, from the campus. And I really worked hard, Shahana, to get uh, through the entrance of uh, MBA so that I can get a job. So it was not a big dream or very well-planned move. It was a desire to become employable at a very early age. <laughs> and when I did that, uh, I picked up human resources because it came a little bit natural to me. I was not good at maths. I was not good at uh, selling stuff. So I picked up human resources. It's a conscious choice, right? To move countries and continents, go to places where you're really out of your comfort zone. So talk a little bit about why you made those choices and why it was important to you to do so. I think the growth happens outside that circle of comfort. Early in my childhood, we experienced that when you come to a new place, for example, go to a new school, make new friends, play a new sport, there is something magical which happens. You know, I used to represent Chandigarh in the rowing team. So I went for the nationals for the first time. I traveled wow. to Calcutta. I was like 17. And I like new place and there were people receiving us. And I was like, this is life. You know, this is what it needs to be. <laughs> so a lot of that drive uh, very early on came from you got to get out of your circle. There is something magical about it and you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll be a different human being. And it also sounds like there's an element of curiosity, right? Meeting people who are completely different from you, coming from all these places that you've not been to. And find the joy in sort of doing that. That's exactly right, yes. Then you had a wonderful career through Novartis, through Mondelez, through companies that we all know and love, and then gave it all up to start leadership at Humanity. So talk a little bit about what made you give up such a long and successful and fruitful career to start LEH. So I think uh, in a way, I actually feel I didn't leave the career. I'm in fact in the <laughs> phase of my career. I'm really having fun. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I think I'm investing 100% of my time, resources and focus into Shahana, something I really care about and I love. And I think in last one and a half years is the phase when I've grown and I feel that stretch and I feel that warmth which comes with the growth. Now, having said that, what made me make those choices? I think I've followed my heart, even in my career, looked at what really gives me uh, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of joy, a sense of connection with people. The last 10 years of the career, which were in senior leadership roles, gave me like a courtside view of the leadership. So I was hiring, developing, uh, retaining, engaging very senior leaders. 
and also observing because I learned a lot from some of the finest leaders I was exposed to. I think I was actually lucky to get these opportunities in different countries, different continents, different organizations. Uh, especially my most recent assignment about four years, really reshaping or resetting the agenda of a large global company from a talent and learning and leadership perspective. Our leaders currently are one of the most uh, stretched. There's a higher expectations from the boards, from the investors, from the organizations to deliver in the face of adversity, in the face of unpredictability. There are people who are demanding more from these leaders. They are expecting more. And I felt that these leaders are struggling. So they have this like a sandwiched situation, organizations expecting more. Your people are expecting more. You are also dealing with the complexity which this current situation brings to your own lives. And then if you have not invested in yourself to become a more grounded, more compassionate, more connected human being, when you're looking inside for support, there is nothing inside because you never invested. All these years, you were building Mm -hmm. skills, new capabilities, presence, strategic mindset. How do I show up in front of the board? How do I show up in front of my senior leadership team? but they never invested in becoming a better human being or better person. Mm. So I saw this uh, struggle which leaders were going through. In my last organization, I had revamped the entire leadership agenda and we moved away from skills and capability focus to more inner leadership, uh, focusing on the core, who you are and how you influence, inspire and engage people around you. And it just came a point where I felt we got to really change the narrative of leadership. You know, unfortunately, for a very long time, the narrative was set around this alpha male, hard driving leaders who will create outcomes. You've got to be nasty, you've got to be focused, you've got to be outcome driven, you've got to be able to make tough calls or difficult calls. Uh, and you cannot be compassionate or you can't have connections because you have to make those tough choices. This narrative developed over a longer period of time. And I, I feel that narrative is redundant now and it will not be relevant in the years to come. And somewhere this conversation has to start where by being compassionate, by being connected, by being uh, caring, uh, by being uh, resilient, you can be even more effective. You can create a better, broader team engagement. You can deliver better outcomes on a more sustained basis. And you can live a better life, by the way. So you don't have to really think about how do I show up in my next meeting? You can be yourself and still create a bigger impact. So that's the driver for me to really move away from what I was doing for 30 years and really focus on what I want to do going forward. And as I said, I've met some wonderful people in the last uh, one and a half years. Uh, I never imagined in my corporate life I would have met a cross-section of people coming from different backgrounds, great human beings uh, who are making me a better person every day. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's, as I said, the best phase of my career. You know, everything you said resonates so much with me and resonates with the work that we are doing as well. 
One of the things you said was about our focus when we become leaders. It's all about the outside. It's all about meeting expectations of our leaders. And, you know, how do you sort of navigate towards doing that, navigate organizational politics? And it's that inner work is really sort of left undone. The other aspect of it is the lack of connection between who you are and seamlessly integrating it into how you lead. And so that gap keeps widening till there is no connection anymore because you've not done the inner work and you're only focusing on this whole external showpiece. That's a great segue to talk about as you were coming up in your career, how did you go through the journey of defining who you want to be as a leader? In 2004, Shahana, I moved from Asia. I was with Novartis. I'd worked a couple of years. I'd come from India, did a decent job as head of HR for their consumer business. And they offered me a role in Switzerland to move in as a head of HR for their consumer businesses for Europe, Middle East, Africa. Big role, probably the biggest regional HR role. I was very happy, of course, that I got a big job but was excited. And I remember my first meeting with my regional HR team, and I had HR leaders from all the key markets from Europe uh, sitting in the room. Beautiful setting in Neon, just outside Geneva, nice views. I lost that group in first five minutes. I was trying to impress them how much I knew and why I was their boss. So I had my PowerPoints, Uh, I had my flashy presentation around how strategic I am in terms of my understanding of HR. And within five minutes, these people were not looking into my eyes. They were looking outside. They were chatting with each other. There was buzz noise. And I felt in that moment, uh, you know, a sense of rejection that they don't want to accept me because there was anger. Uh, I started to kind of justify why these people are upset with me. Maybe they wanted my job. They're not happy. I started saying maybe I'm an Asian. They were not ready to have this guy coming from India taking over this role. All sort of stories in my head. And it didn't, didn't help. It actually aggravated the situation to an extent. My reactions pushed them even farther away from me. So I went to the head of HR at that time, a guy who continues to be my mentor even till date. And I said, can I go back to Asia? Because I don't think I belong here. I'd made a tough decision of moving. My, my mom was with me, uh, but she was paralyzed. So I, I took her with me from Singapore to Switzerland. Uh, Sumati, my wife, was expecting our son at that time. I took her with me. And I was like, did I do the right thing by making a change like that? And I think that that advice which Simon gave me was, you don't have a choice. You already made a big decision. We don't have a role for you back in Asia. So the choice is you go back and figure out what you want to do with your life or give it a shot and try to understand why these people are not connecting with you. Mm. And I invested in building those relationships. So I traveled to each country. I sat in their offices. I observed what they were doing. And I started to, Shahana, build respect for the jobs they did. For the Mm. first time, I realized I don't actually know anything. This is a complex region. It has Mm. its own challenges. Right. And once that click happened and my own vulnerability to show up and say, well, 
guys, I don't know. I got to learn from you. I only know this much, which can be added on to what you already do. I still remember that day in my head, that meeting in that room, which shook me and made me become a human being before a leader. Mm. So how do I build that relationship? And then, by the way, that's one of the finest team I've led. Uh, <laughs> even today, I'm in touch with a lot of those folks. They're doing well in life. We meet each other when I travel. They all come together. But from that day onwards, I decided not try to be who I was not. Just showing up as a person. Letting people see you sooner actually helps because they then know what they're getting, good or bad, and they connect with you. So my biggest learning happened to that. And then I moved to the US. I then went to Singapore, changed companies, came back to the US. That's one principle which stayed with me. It freed me up. My mind was so light. I don't, yeah. need, to show up. I don't need to do any drama. I can be who I am. It may not be perfect, but people get to see you as a human being and they want to connect with you. Yeah. I'm going to ask you perhaps a slightly difficult follow-up question. As leaders, we have so many defenses and so many insecurities. Your approach to that session was to really showcase rather than understand. And so why do you think in retrospect, was it important to you to lead with showcasing or to lead with defenses rather than to be open to that experience in that room with these really talented people? It's a great question, Shana. And, you know, hindsight is always a great teacher. You know, it teaches you why you're doing what you're doing and what you can do better. I think uh, I go back to the narrative because you see how leaders come and show up and how to establish your command, how to establish the sense of respect which you expect from them. And in my mind, there was a reason this organization moved me into that role. They had a very proactive, very aggressive agenda to transform, you know, the structurally, culturally, that whole business. And in my mind at that time, the focus was, how do I make this team feel that I'm the right leader? You know, that sense of being judged, the sense of being assessed and evaluated. Unfortunately, you forget that people connect with who you are. They don't connect with what you do and your achievements right. and how smart you are. Mm -hmm. They connect with your character. They don't, then they connect with your capabilities subsequently. So that learning came at a cost because I went through a two or three months of very, very turbulent phase. Personally, also, because I was so much under stress that did I do the right thing? I was beating myself up by bringing my mom, my wife uh, into a space where maybe we are not even stable. I may have to leave this place. And then at work, I was disconnected. I, I didn't feel included. I didn't feel connected. And I felt inadequate. And that's what was driving me to do even more of how do I really show up like I'm the best kid around and you all know nothing. So to your point, I think all that comes from this deeply ingrained ecosystem in the organizations where you got to be the loudest or loudest voice in the room. You got to be appealing leader where people want to follow you. You got to create that pull, which now when I look back, I wouldn't have done it. There was no need actually to do that. And you'll actually be more successful if you just show up as who you are and really 
open up to listen then tell that is such a great story i have to share one of a colleague both you and i love isabel so she once told me this taking your team along right we were having this conversation about a certain leader she was like look if you are the smartest person in the room and you're 10 steps ahead of everybody you've got to realize that you're actually alone <laughs> because there's no one following you you know unless and until you're actually able to take people along on the journey there is no way that you can actually achieve and deliver your outcomes and i was like my god <laughs> that is so true and it's exactly you know what you're saying as well exactly. you know alone you could be smart you could be intelligent you could be whatever but you may not actually get to deliver the outcomes without the passion and energy and inspiration of your team absolutely it's also such a great point that we think we often learn from our leaders but we actually end up learning a lot more from our team uh, over time than you know sometimes even our leaders that's exactly right and i think the learning opportunities shahana come in multiple ways it's our ability to open up to those learnings yes so learnings happen around you all the time learnings happen in an environment where you're least expecting sometimes i say in a lighter vein but you know leaders are so full of themselves <laughs> that they have no space for <laughs> others to influence them unfortunately <laughs> so true so true lay in the himalayas has played such an important role in your own growth so talk a little bit about that as well lay as you rightly said plays a very important role in fact name of my organization is inspired <laughs> by lay <laughs> a very uh, crude attempt to keep lay front and center of what i wanted to do lay has something very special about it uh, i went there as a tourist about uh, 12 years back when i spend more time uh, it has all the elements of uh, spirituality mental well-being physical connection and now because i go there so often shan i meet a lot of people and i think those people are the kind of humans you want to stay connected with i have a great set of friends now i like to spend time there i visit schools i spend time in the schools i visit monasteries in the morning i spend time in the monasteries so there's a lot of a uh, lot of pull in that place because of its simplicity its character and depth of people mm that is such a great story atul and you know it makes so much sense you've worked with so many amazing leaders senior leaders as well you've certainly seen the duality that you talked about having to really have an external sort of focus of leadership with, without sometimes doing the inner work that is needed so could you talk a little bit about maybe one or two leaders where you have seen that dichotomy and how it has impacted them and their teams most recent one comes to my mind is during the pandemic there was this trend of leaders trying to organizations started to think about you got to get closer and personal now that we are not in our same office we are not uh, meeting people often there was zoom um, kind of coaching sessions run by the companies how to show up as a leader in a zoom meeting so start with a personal conversation don't jump into work right away people are zoom fatigue and all that and i saw leaders basically showing up this particular particular person showing up in a conversation a meeting asking about so how are your kids how are your pets what's the name of your pet <laughs> because the pet was running around you know in the background in the meeting 
I, I thought that was very inauthentic, very inconsistent because this person, and I, it was just in my mind, but then I was meeting my team. And some of those were also in this meeting with a very senior leader, very senior leader in the organization and said, you know, Atul, this person and I worked for four years on the same floor. And this person passed me every day and never even acknowledged that I was sitting there. Never, ever even looked around and saw that I was sitting in that chair. Today, this person is asking how my pets are doing. I don't want to actually look at this face again. So, oh my God. you know, it's an extreme example, but the duality of people, when everything is trained, it's not natural, it's, it's not authentic. Yeah. Everything is taught, you know, organizations teach people how to show up in front of a board, how to show up in a town hall meeting. Uh, and there are people training you for that. I think that's, they lose that connect completely. Now people are looking for more from their jobs from their relationships at work. And these leaders are struggling to fill that space. Yeah. That is actually such a great point because it does feel like the pandemic led to a collective epiphany. Certainly, you know, we have been part of it because we have both left our careers, taken a bit of time to actually do much more of what we love, truly connect with our purpose, find ways to live our purpose on an everyday basis. I have to say, you look 20 years younger, so clearly you're doing something right. <laughs> and so do but... you. <laughs> Thank you. But I have to say that, you know, when you look at the mountain of research on leadership, it shows the widening gap that you're talking about which is, you know, whether you look at the Monster 2018 poll that talks about the fact that, what, 76% of U.S. respondents uh, talk about either currently having or having recently had a toxic boss. That's just horrible, no matter how you look at it. Whether you look at the study that looked at 30,000 comments over 1,000 companies on Glassdoor and Indeed, which were unprompted comments from people, and over 56% of them were on a negative vein talking about leadership. So there's definitely something that's broken. It's probably exacerbated by the fact that we don't do leadership capability building in a way that actually would help them connect, you know, who they are to how they lead. I think you're, you're spot on. Um, Aishana did an article about six months back for University of Tennessee, uh, which I call Human First Before Leader. Mm. Uh, and I talked about how critical it is people before you talk about leadership and leadership lessons and run these big global programs where you invite these thought leaders or influencers to teach your people how to lead. I think leaders at the top of the house need to learn how to be a better human being. It has to start from there. If you're looking at this world is going to be as weird and as complicated and as complex as it is today, I got to change myself and become someone who can thrive in this situation, who can win in the face of this adversity and who can enjoy this whole process. They got to look inside and work on their inner core and their capacity to engage and inspire others. Yeah. And Atul, why is it important to you to really be that force for change and to really push the agenda of having better human beings as leaders uh, for the future? 
I think it's a great question. So you see, one, of course, uh, there's a lot to do with my own upbringing. I mentioned earlier, Shahana, who I am and what makes me who I am. My own desire to do my bit to contribute to this, especially being in a very lucky situation of getting exposure, of working in different parts of the world with some finest leaders and all that. I feel uh, I can bring that credible voice. I, I'm not a consultant. I'm not a professor. I'm a practitioner who's gone through this whole kind of cycle. So I can bring that credible voice uh, and I have that now that independence of bring that voice up to talk about it. Two, I truly believe the world needs it. So it's not just I am following a passion or having a good time. I do believe if we don't do it, there's a real risk of collapsing. So that's the reason why what drives me. You know, one thing, Atul, I think is sort of uh, evident in what you're saying, but I think it's worth calling out. In the world that we have today, we have so many competing priorities, so many areas of stress, so much grief. I mean, the kind of grief that we have gone through, through the pandemic, all of us have been impacted in some way, even just the environment itself. So there is a quest for peace and happiness, which seems to be at risk, right? And that's a little bit of what you're talking about as well, that how do leaders, not just leaders, how does anyone find that quiet to just stand still, reflect, be themselves, be at peace, and be happy? I think you're spot on, Shahana. By the way, there is enough data also to support that Resilient leaders, I've seen build resilient teams, resilient processes, and resilient organizations. Right. True. So their impact is bigger than just leading a more calmer life. Their impact goes much beyond, you know, a simple example, when resilient leader is trying to learn from a situation, I mean, pandemic really brought up a lot of those heroes, you know, who just got onto the feet and saw, okay, this is how I want to lead. This is a tough situation. How do I want to show up in a situation like that? They are the leaders who will sit with others and say, what do we do that we are prepared to deal with the similar situation in a much better, much stronger way next time around? So they are constantly adjusting processes and systems and ways of working in the organization. In fact, I did uh, an assessment just before I left my career for for the board and we superimposed i mean pandemic in many ways was a great leveler it did not differentiate the emerging markets mature markets it right. just packed the whole world in a consistent way not very many situations we have seen in our lifetimes like that right so you could shahana almost superimpose the quality of leadership with the quality of outcomes on the business So those leaders who were able to turn around the businesses, despite the challenges, the first phase of pandemic, very quickly get onto the feet, think of solutions on the go, come out with stronger plans are leaders who were grounded, who were credible, who were trusted by the people around them. Mm. So the biggest learning is, to your point, that these leaders, if you are actually a more human leader, your, your impact is much, much bigger and broader than what you would assume as an individual, you can lead a better life. Mm. 
That's actually such a great point. And I think it leads me to perhaps my next question, which is about your superpower. Your superpower, I think, is truly about building communities, rallying people towards a common mission, vision, purpose. And so talk a little bit about the kind of momentum that Lay is generating. Clearly, there is a buzz, right? Clearly, there are so many people who are willing to go with you on the journey. So talk a little bit about how you are building that community and how that community is really benefiting from being part of Lay. Great question. By the way, first, uh, I thank you for the compliment. Uh, I hope that is true. I, I do feel the energy around LEX, a good energy coming through, and I'm very thankful to everyone who's deciding, including yourself, Shahana, made a choice to stay connected with us and be part of our programs and initiatives and dialogues and mentoring and so on and so forth. I started with creating a movement which I genuinely, authentically believed in. What I know is how leaders show up, impact and influence in a business. And that's the space I want to play. Mm -hmm. So in LEH, we uh, started a mentoring program. One of my bigger learnings was that organizations, Shahana, invest 90% of the training dollar goes behind the 10% of their so-called hypertension. Right. 10% of the oh, dollar goes go to the 90% of the organization in terms of skill, yep. normal training and communication skills and so on and so forth. So we used to run very successful mentoring programs globally. But I felt there are so many people in the world who have no access to guidance, but they have aspirations to grow. Right. So we started with this LEH open mentoring program. Today, we have over 125 mentees from close to 25 countries in the world. You know, countries like Ghana, Egypt, Zimbabwe, Pakistan, Nepal, who've been part of our mentoring program. And I reached out to my network and I was very fortunate that I had over 70 very successful leaders who leaned in and said, I'm ready to give a gift of my time to guide someone, handhold someone who can benefit from me. Started LEH Dialogues. We have had about 14 dialogues by now where we invite uh, global influencers. We have a global audience which follows us. Um, we also started executive MBA course with the university in Vietnam, National Economic University last year. We want to actually talk about humanity at the early stages of students. Nobody teaches yeah. us. I remember in our MBA classes, Shana. so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody taught us that you got to be a good human being if you want to be a successful leader. And I'm really thankful to these people who have made a choice to be part of our programs, join us, support us, sponsor us. In last one year, I've met so many wonderful people, Shana, coming from different walks of life. That whole experience has been very enriching. I've also lost, by the way, a very small percentage, but I've lost a lot of connection too. Not a not lot some connections, people who feel that maybe now it's not as relevant to sustain a relationship because I'm not in the industry. But ah. I'm still very thankful to them because they, <laughs> they supported, they encouraged when I was thinking of moving on. Yeah, and that sounds familiar to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's fine because, you know, they, they probably have a better or different expectations, but I'm so thankful the number of new people, different walks of life, different industries who have become part of uh, the LEH movement. Yeah, no, that is wonderful. The journey that you're on is so fascinating. 
And now you have had a few leaders who have gone through the experiences with you. So talk a little bit maybe about a couple of leaders that you may have coached through the journey and the transformation that they witnessed in themselves and how that's impacting them and their teams. A great question. I know one leader came back and told me that I've never had that kind of relationship with my team, which I'm able to have now. I feel lighter. I feel more focused. I feel this is probably the most productive team I'm leading. This is within three or four months of person going back from the program. What do you think was the epiphany that helped them be a better leader for their team? So I think connection with themselves. They were trying hard to connect with others. It goes back to our earlier conversation. You know, when we focus on connecting with yourself, we talk about compassion in the context of being compassionate to yourself. How do you take care of yourself before you start taking care of others? I hear from people, I feel that these boulders which I was carrying on my back are suddenly gone away. Right. More than one person has said that in different conversations that, you know, you feel lighter, you feel natural, you feel authentic, and you feel that there is no disconnect between your being and doing. That's where you start to create, you know, you're at your best and you create that value where everybody else wants to connect with you. Oh, so well said. There's so many more questions, Atul, and we can go all day. So we tried to put a couple of them together in a rapid fire section. Are you ready? Absolutely, please. So the first question, you have traveled to so many countries, right, over the years as part of work, but also as part of your personal sort of exploration. So talk a little bit about maybe how many countries have you actually traveled to and what's been one of your most memorable trips? Great question. I would say probably 40 to 50 on top of my head. I'll have to, after this conversation, I'm going to do a quick... That's a lot. (laughs) Uh, See, the challenge is challenge. The opportunity was I did regional roles uh, in Asia, Pac, Middle East, Africa, then Europe, Middle East, Africa. Regional roles give you the opportunity to be in the countries and continents where you want to be. I would tell you a funny experience, uh, which still stays with me, is my first trip to Japan. Uh, Long back, actually, in 2002. That was a time when language was still a big barrier, I would say, because there were not English signboards and stuff like that. My uh, contact in Japan told me the easiest way to come from Narita to the town is go for a hotel bus. So there'll be a Marriott hotel. Uh, bus outside. Just go sit in that bus and confirm that this is Marriott and that will bring you to the hotel. And I went and sat in a bus. It said Marriott. I asked a couple of people, is it the Marriott so-and-so? They said, yes, I went and sat. It was almost three hours. I thought this person had told me one and a half hours. <laughs> Long story short, I landed in Nagoya, Marriott. So <laughs> I had to go to Tokyo. <laughs> So my meetings went for a six. Um, I had to take a very expensive way of, you know, hiring a cab and coming all the way, spending whole day on the road. That was kind of a unique experience I went through. <laughs> Landed in a completely different city. Oh, my goodness. If your life story was made into a movie, what do you think would be the theme song? <laughs> hmm. I, I'll again go with something which is recent and I've been hearing a lot. So uh, I'm human. This is John Jones song. Uh, it just connects with me. Oh, perfect. 
If you could wave a magic wand, do one thing that would impact leadership for generations to come, what would that be? Make leaders followers for a day. Let them, <laughs> <laughs> let them follow others and see and feel the impact they can have on others. Oh, it's beautifully like said. Back to school kind of thing, yes. <laughs> We could all use, you know, some of those days for sure. This has been so much fun, Atul. Thank you so much for taking the time. Truly enjoyed this. Appreciate you spending time with our listeners today. Thanks, Shana. My pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation and always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.